Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. First of all, let me give a little correction. Yesterday I said that we were in lesson number uh, 14, I think it was there, uh, of our journey on answering Islam. This is a course that I teach in colleges, and I'm bringing it now to our radio listening audience. I'm not covering every detail here because we'd kind of get lost in the weeds uh, with uh, some of the depths of this material. But I'm trying to cover the bits that uh, that I believe are needful for us Christians to understand how to give an answer to Islam. Islam claims to be the superior religion, to have the superior scripture, that we Christians have committed a terrible blasphemy, that we have taken a man, Jesus Christ, who was a prophet of God, and elevated him to the position of being God. Uh, which they call blasphemy. Well, actually, that would be blasphemy, wouldn't it, to make a man God? Uh, But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible tells us that God became man and dwelt amongst us. And so we give an answer to Islam by exposing Muhammad as a prophet, not of God, but rather of the enemy of God. He was deceived. In fact, actually, he thought so. His first impression you might be interested to know, that when Muhammad was in the presence of this spirit, the jinn, uh, he thought it was a demon. In fact, the text tells us, Never shall the courier say this of me, that I'm possessed. I shall go to the top of the mountain and cast myself off and find peace. So he actually thought he was demon-possessed. It actually took his wife, Khadija, to persuade him differently that, no, it's not a demon, but rather... It is the angel Gabriel. And so, uh, here as Christians, we have a duty to earnestly contend for the faith. And so we're doing that. We're passionately uh, defending our faith from false teaching. We're continuing steadfastly in the doctrines that the Apostle has given us by staying to the Scriptures and not accepting just any word that comes from somebody saying they had a word from God. So in order to thoroughly refute Islam, to give an answer, we need to be skilled and understanding their, their religion so that we know where they're coming from, so that we can argue our case successfully and also rescue Muslims from Islam. Muslims are going to die and go to hell, not because they're Muslim, but because they reject Jesus Christ. And they reject Jesus Christ because of Islam. The Quran tells them that Jesus is not God. The Quran tells Muslims that Jesus did not die on the cross. There are two verses. It goes like this. For Allah could see that Jesus, Isa, was in trouble, so he rescued him and took him into heaven, not before lifting his image and putting it on another. And he went to the cross to fool everyone to think that Isa died, but he did not. And so the belief is that Jesus was uh, raptured, taken into heaven, but his image was taken from him, put on Uh, probably Judas, because he was the one disciple who went missing, and he died on the cross in place of Jesus, fooling everyone to think that Jesus died. But of course he didn't, according to the Quran. So if Jesus didn't die on the cross, you don't have the blood atonement for sin. If he didn't die on the cross, you don't have his, uh, his resurrection three days later. 
These are three essential things for the gospel, folks. If you don't have the deity of Christ, if you don't have his blood atonement on the cross, if you don't have his resurrection, you don't have the gospel. And so we, we want to understand this issue about Islam so we can rescue Muslims and bring them to the saving faith in Jesus Christ. So we are actually, yesterday I was broadcasting not Lesson 14, but rather Lesson 17. And so today we're in number uh, 18, Lesson 18. And uh, just to quickly recap, we're dealing with the faith and practice of Muslims uh, coming from Islam. And uh, we talked about Taid, the oneness of God. And not only is it that the, it's kind of very similar to the first commandment of Moses, uh, of the Ten Commandments, that uh, the Lord thy God is one God, and thou shalt have no other gods before him. And so this idea is all tied in together in the concept of Taid, that uh, there's the oneness of God. When ISIS fighters hold up their finger, that number one, that pointing upwards there, they're saying, uh, they're, they're re- referencing this doctrine, this important doctrine of Islam, the oneness of God, that they are trying to be one with him, that he is number one in their life. He is um, uh, the, the the first, the, the, the greatest, and uh, the, the almighty. And part of the key component is that Allah hath no son. Then they get into the Tanzi doctrine. And let's, let's move on. Tanzi doctrine means that Allah can transcend Anything. There's nothing. He, ex- he is exalted far and beyond anything of his creation. This makes him so different from our God, Jehovah. Our God, Jehovah, is personable. He wants to be known as we are known. And he wants to have a relationship with his creation. Jehovah God, the God of the Bible. But the God of the Quran, he doesn't want that at all. In fact, he transcends his creation. Not, and and the, another important part of this is that nothing can be compared to him. Um, and he uh, he transcends whatever substance he's made of and the essence of himself. He is also known as the capricious one. It's not a term that we use very often here in the West, but basically it means that he is ever-changing. He can change not only his mind, he can change his very nature. In Islam, Muslims have what they call the 99 names of God. These names uh, given after the attributes of God. And I want to bring your attention to number 44. Because uh, the 44th name of Allah is that he is the Al-Makarin, or the Al-Makar. The Al-Makarin comes from the word deceiver. He is the great deceiver. Now, folks, doesn't that tell you a lot? about who this God really is. Now, this word is translated, al-makar, or al-makarin, is translated into English sometimes as schemer, or plotter, or planner, or deceiver. All these translations, these words, are synonymous of the word al-makra. Let me give you the idea from a Quranic verse in Surah 8, verse 30. And it says, And remember, when the unbelievers plot deception against you, O Muhammad, to imprison you or kill you or expel you, they plotted deception. But Allah also plotted deception. For Allah is the best of 
the plotters of deception or the planners of deception. So the idea here is the concept in the Quran of this al-Makra is that um, that the, the enemy, the kafir, the unbeliever, they have planned, they have plotted deception against you, Muhammad, to imprison you, to kill you, to expel you. Although they plant and plot their deception, they are makarin, they are doing the makar. But Allah also does the makar, and he's the better of it. He is the better deceiver, the better planner, the better schemer, the better deceiver. What's very interesting is the Bible tells us something about who the great deceiver is. In John 8, 44, the Holy Scripture tells us, uh, speaking of the devil, he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him, speaking of the devil. When he speaketh lies, he speaketh of his own. He is a liar and the father of it. So the Bible tells us who the great deceiver is, and that is the devil himself. And Islam puts that title, the deceiver, on their God, Allah. You see, folks, there's some things that I find very interesting about Islam. Some of it is very covert. You have to dig a little. You have to look a little underneath the rocks to really see where they're coming from. But in many cases of Islam, it is bold, brash. It's right out there in front of us, folks. It is the religion of the enemy of Jehovah God. And that's why they war with us. It should be no a no-brainer for us. Let's continue. Every chapter in the Quran begins with what's called the uh, the bismillah. The bismillah is kind of an expression that is often uh, recited again. Of course, every time a Muslim would recite a chapter of the Quran, they would begin by reciting the bismillah. Bismi Allahi ar-Rahmani ar-Rahim. What are they saying? They're saying that in the name of Allah, the most gracious and the most merciful... This concept, I have people tell me sometimes, well, I've studied Islam, and you know where do you find uh, the concept of mercy in Islam? And I'm wondering, where are they reading? Um, every chapter begins with the idea of calling Allah the most gracious and the most merciful. The idea is that Allah is merciful to those who submit to him, the idea of Islam is submission, surrender. That's what it means. And uh, those who submit, those who surrender, they will have Allah's favor. And you'll have peace in your life if you totally surrender. That's the goal of Islam. But you gain that peace by being submitted and totally surrendered to Allah. And then in turn, he will return your faithfulness to him by being gracious and merciful to you. You see... A Muslim to get saved is not saved by the work of their God. It's the work of themselves. They're trying to work and earn favor with Allah to gain his graciousness and gain his mercy by their good works. 
You know, there's something what's interesting too about all the 114 chapters in the Quran. They all begin with the Bismillah, except for one. There's one chapter that's absent of the Bismillah, and that is chapter nine, the last chapter of the Quran. Now, if you were listening carefully, I told you there's 114 chapters, but chapter nine is the last chapter. I didn't misspeak, and you didn't mishear me. Uh, let me explain why. Why chapter 9 is the last when there's 114 chapters. The Quran is ordered, uh, laid out in order of the larger chapters are in the front, smaller chapters are in the back, except for the first chapter. And so uh, chapter 2 would be the largest, then chapter 3 would be the next largest, and chapter 4 and so on. So chapter 9 technically would be the 8th largest chapter of the Quran. So it's in the ninth position only because of its size. And the first chapter is a prayer that they repeat every day in their salats, in their prayers. And in that prayer, in verse number six, they say, uh, they say, Idin al-Asrapa al-Mustapin. They're saying to Allah, show me, show us the straight way. Muslims are looking for the right way, the straight way to heaven. In fact, the Sunnah, the concept of the Sunnah in Islam is the pathway. A Muslim is on a pilgrimage. And the Bible tells us, it's interesting that the Bible has the answers for everything that Muslims are looking for. John 14, 6, the Bible tells us that Jesus, the, the prophet, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We're going to have to stop here. But we'll pick up more when we come back in tomorrow's broadcast. So join us again tomorrow at the Corner of Truth and Courage. God bless you.